Thank you, Keith. So, uh, I don't know whether you've noticed, this is the fourth in a series of, from this Anglican series about Isaiah and. And this one's about Isaiah uh, and God with Isaiah. But actually what we're focusing on is this prophecy, in amongst all the story that we're so familiar with, the Christmas story, there's this prophecy about Emmanuel, isn't there? And so we're focusing on that this week. And the coming child, Jesus, who will be called Emmanuel, um, so it may be familiar to you or not, this passage, whether or not it helped our understanding, I think, of God's ways if we pause to look into the historical background of what was going on when this prophecy was made. So from those of you that can remember the last interregnum we had, and you let me up here to have a go, I love maps. So you're going to get two today. Um, can we have the first map up? Can you see that all right? The original Israel, the land, you know, that God gave to the 12 tribes. The original Israel has divided into two. Israel is that orangey-looking country. Small, isn't it? But you'll have to bear with me because I need the rest of the map later. There's Israel, look, and Judah is reddish colour. So the country's been divided into two. Israel in the north, and the people who live in Israel were referred to as Samaritans and Judah in the south. This prophecy we're looking at dates from the reign of King Ahaz, who ruled in Judah, the southern kingdom, from about 740 BC to 715 BC, more than 700 years before Jesus was born. So, the second book of Kings tells us that this king of Judah, Ahaz, was a wicked king, worshipping other gods and even sacrificing his son to Molech, a Canaanite god. The king in Israel, so that's Ahaz, he's king of Judah in the south. The king of Israel, the orange country there, he was called King Pekar. And Pekar sent an army of the Samaritans to attack Judah. And this war greatly weakened the kingdom of Judah. The second book of Chronicles tells us that in one day, the Samaritan army killed 120,000 of Ahaz's soldiers, together with the king's son and the officer in charge of King Ahaz's palace and the king's chief lieutenant. And we're told that the Samaritan army also took captive 200,000 wives, sons and daughters and carried off a great deal of plunder. Phew. The ultimate aim of the war for King Pekar was to capture King Ahaz's um, capital, in, which is Jerusalem in Judah. But this was beyond King Pekar acting on his own because Jerusalem was a large city you know, with a very good defensive wall. So Pekar entered an agreement with the king of Syria for a joint attack. Now there's Syria, look, to the north of Israel, much, much bigger. Um, Pekar entered an agreement with the king of Syria for a joint attack. And as the combined armies of Israel and Syria approached Jerusalem, it looked like everything would be lost. However, earlier in the book of Isaiah, we, had re we read that God had already sent Isaiah 
to speak to King Ahaz. And here's part of what Isaiah said to uh, the king on behalf of God. Isaiah said to the king, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, which is what God thought of Israel and Syria coming to attack Judah. So now in this very perilous position, with the combined armies from Israel and Syria outside the gates of Jerusalem, God gives Ahaz another chance to get himself right with God. And uh, as Keith has just been giving us a reading for us. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. So then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and uh, give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So now you know which two kings are being referred to in the prophecy. There are two aspects uh, to this prophecy worth our attention. The obvious one, the promise of Emmanuel, will come to the future Messiah, we'll come to that in a minute. Uh, but the other aspect is how God deals with Ahaz. God, as I say, God had already challenged Ahaz to believe and be blessed. Now, as our passage says, God offers to give Ahaz a basis for belief, a sign for himself. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. This sounds very um, spiritual from Ahaz, doesn't it? It almost seems to um, say what Jesus said when he was being tempted by Satan. Do you remember in, in the New Testament? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Though the words are similar, the motivations behind them are completely different. So anyway, what's all this got to do with us? God invited Ahaz to test him by asking for a sign, and Ahaz refused to do so. Why? Well, when you think about it, if God fulfilled the sign, Ahaz would be obligated to believe. Ah, so Ahaz dressed up his refusal to ask for a sign in quasi-reverence. But Ahaz is not God-fearing, I've told you already about some of the dreadful things he'd done, and I can tell you in a minute about a few more he does. He is not a God-fearing man. What he does in practice is to refuse, is refuse to submit to God's will. And is this what we do sometimes? When we say things like, I won't bother God with that, it's too small for him. Or, I can't pray here, this is not the right place for it. Does it say anywhere in the Bible that God hasn't got time for the small issues in our lives? Does it say that we have to be in certain places to pray? No, it does not. God tells us he's always with us. So when we think or say these things, we're offering up the excuses, uh, which sound reverential, but which in practice 
exclude God from parts of our lives, to be honest. So let's not be like King Ahaz in this way. Anyway, back to the uh, prophecy. In response to Ahaz's quasi-reverence, Isaiah says to him, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Ahaz treated his people poorly, but he treated the Lord even more poorly. The name Emmanuel, God with us, was a rebuke to Ahaz. If God was with him, why should he fear the enemy, even one as big as the combined armies of uh, Israel and Syria? Imagine having a friend who, on many occasions, is in a position to help you, and each time says, trust me, leave it to me, I'll see to it. And uh, each t how would that friend feel if on each occasion you said, no thanks, I don't trust you? Well, that's exactly what um, Ahaz was doing to God, wasn't he? Imagine how God felt. <laughs> so anyway, Isaiah's next words to the king were, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. This is an example of a prophecy with um, both a near and a far fulfillment. The near fulfillment related to the attack from Israel and Syria. I'm not going to diverge to explain that weird reference to curd and honey. Did you notice that? Rather, let's focus on Isaiah's prophecy that before the child who is going to be called Emmanuel is born, both Israel and Syria would be crushed. And this is indeed what happened. The second book of Kings tells us Ahaz struck an ungodly deal with the king of Assyria. Now, if you look at that map, is it not much? You see that grey area at the top? That's where I see, I'll, I'll give you another map in a second. So Ahaz struck up an ungodly deal with the king of Assyria. He remodeled the temple after the pattern of pagan temples in Assyria. And he gave gold and silver from the temple to the Assyrian king to win his favor and protection. Now I did tell you Ahaz was not a good king. And now... Look, however, at what became of Syria and Israel. Can we have the next map, please? Where are they now? Assyria grew to be a big, powerful empire and overran Syria and Israel, gone. So that's what became of those burning, smouldering stubs. Okay, back to what for us is the most significant part of the prophecy. We don't really, I can't, I can't remember, have we got a slide to just move on to away from that map? Yeah, that'll do nicely, thank you. Back to what for us is the most significant part of the prophecy. Its ultimate fulfilment goes far beyond Ahaz to announce the miraculous virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And to whom is this prophecy addressed? Did you notice it begins with, Hear now, you house of David. King David had been king before Israel and Judah separated. So this prophecy is addressed to the whole of the original kingdom. It says the coming child will be known as Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, we'll perhaps just pause to think about Emmanuel. 
and the significance in that name, God with us. Emmanuel speaks of the deity of Jesus. It is God who comes to us in the form of Jesus. And it speaks of his identification and nearness to mankind. God is with us, even us. You might say, ah, God was with all those people in the Bible, but how is he with us? Well, uh, he is with us, you and me, in the influences of his Holy Spirit, some of which we notice and some of which we don't. He is with us in taking communion, which we will do in a, in a few minutes. He's with us in the reading and understanding of what it says in his message of love to us, the Bible. He is with us when we pray, whether alone or, to, or with others. Uh, he is with us through every action that we begin, continue and end in his name. He is always with every one of us, whether we acknowledge his presence or not. So, brothers and sisters, if you believe God is with us, which enemy do you fear? I'll leave that dangling in the air. So, that was that prophecy. There's more to it when you look into it than you think, isn't there? So, at this stage, I was going to move on to prayer.